directly to you. Last week, they were sitting in front in a little corner. Um, near the back is my wife, Jeannie. Um, Jeannie was a pastor of this church too before, um, after I came by uh, my first posting. Um, so she pastored this church. She's now uh, working in a counselling centre as a manager and um, a counsellor as well. And then next to her is Kimberly. She, um, Kimberly, many of you remember her as a little girl. She is quite an old person now. Uh, it's been a long time. Welcome to our church. So today we start our study on the Gospel of Matthew. This will continue, um, as I mentioned, every Sunday, as well as Monday to Friday via devotions, daily devotions. And we will continue that study to the first week of um, April, right after Easter Sunday. We hope to look through this Gospel of Matthew. And as we do so, we will discover a lot of things that you never thought of Jesus. We discover very refreshing things um, about Jesus. So today we will read Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now that as we reflect and meditate on your word, that you place your word into our hearts, into our minds, that we may live with a renewed faith, understanding of you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is an introduction to the life of Jesus. In verse 18, it says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. So it's about Jesus, the Saviour, Jesus, the Messiah. And it introduces then several themes that will go throughout the Gospel of Matthew, several truths about Jesus. I want to raise four truths about Jesus from this passage. And then throughout the next few weeks and months, we will look at these themes again. The first truth is that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus is fully God and fully man. This virgin birth was very important, it's pivotal to our faith. Sometimes we say, well, whatever, if, she was born a, if he was born from a virgin Mary or whether Mary con 
consummated, it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter very much. Because of the virgin birth, Jesus, we can say that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And that is important. In verse 18, she says that Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And then, and then again in verse 20, it says, because what is conceived in, your, in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. And so without the help of Joseph, Mary conceived because the Holy Spirit placed himself, God was in Mary. Now this helps us to understand then that Jesus is fully God and throughout this Gospel of Matthew, there will be this theme that Jesus is God. And it's important to know that Jesus is God for our lives. Because when we know that Jesus is God, what we read about his teachings will mean that it is God teaching. It is not just a wise man giving, wise, giving wisdom. When we read the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes, it will not seem as though, well, this is good advice. Well, it's not actually that practical, but it's good advice from a wise man, from a smart man. But if you knew that this wasn't just the teaching of a wise man, a good man, but it's a teaching of God himself, then you would see the sermons very differently. You would see then that what was preached in the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll go through that, are the templates for living. It's not just good advice, not too practical. If you can do it, good. If you can't, well, too bad. We are only human. But rather that it is the template, it is what we were meant to be. It is like the Creator telling us this is how it was meant to be. I'm not one who is very good in taking instructions, especially when it's assembling IKEA stuff. So I go shopping and I see beautiful IKEA cupboard and I say, wow, I want to buy that. And then it comes, doesn't come in the cupboard, it comes in many planks, one big flat box. But well, I remember how that cupboard looked like and it looks easy, maybe 15 minutes I can just fit everything. And so what, what do you need instructions for, right? Throw it away lah. Halfway through the project, this monstrosity is facing me. doesn't look anything like the beautiful cupboard that I saw in the care. And man, I haven't got the instructions anymore. But that's how we look at the Sermon on the Mount or the Gospels or the teachings of Jesus very often. We say, this is practical. This is the way I should live. This is the way I know how to live, like I know better. And then God says, but this isn't the template for your life. Now, the Gospels, the Sermon is the template. And hard as it may seem, what I say as the Creator is the way to live a full life. And if we knew then that this is God speaking, not just a wise man, it makes all the difference to our lives. But we see also that it is important that it is God who came to do the miracles. It wasn't a lucky strike. It wasn't a good doctor. It was God at work. And it's important too, especially important, when we see Jesus suffer and die. Because when we think that it was just, well, another good man got, died, got killed, it's inconsequential really. I mean, every day you read stories about people getting killed. It doesn't affect you. It hurts sometimes if it were someone close to you, but it's not really consequential. But if you knew that it is God 
who died because he had to exchange his life for ours. Now that makes all the difference because he is holy, he is immortal, he's invincible, but he died for us. That's an impact. That impact should change our lives. But at the same time, the paradox is that he is, while he's fully God, he's fully man, and that's something we can't match together. How can some person who is fully God be also fully man? That's something we will not be able to answer. And yet the Bible shows us, both in this virgin birth, as well as throughout the life of Jesus, that he was also fully man. He was born of Mary. And more than that, he was vulnerable. He could be killed by Herod. He could be killed by the soldiers. He could feel pain. He was fully man. He also felt the sadness, the brokenness of others. It is important for us to know then that it wasn't God who was impervious to any hurts, any insults, any pain. He just walks through and nobody can hurt him. But it says that Jesus tasted death. Jesus felt our pain. He was a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. It is important that Jesus is fully man too because it is God tasting the worst of humanity and feeling it within himself. And so the first truth is that God is fully God. Jesus is fully God. He's also fully man. The second truth is that the favour of God does not always look favourable. The favour of God does not always look favourable. We read here that this is the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. When we think of something as good, as powerful as the birth of the Messiah, we would think that everything you would see, the favour of God. Isn't that what we all hope for? Isn't that what we often anticipate? When I became a pastor first, I had lots of good wishes that said, may your path be smooth. May every church that you pastor love you. May you have no problems at all. Man, are they deluded. But that's what we hope for, isn't it? That when I'm in the will of God, everything goes right. But look at, look at Jesus and look at Joseph and look at Mary. Joseph just had this good news. You think it was good news? That the child, your betrothed, will conceive and give birth. Man, the first thought is, what will my neighbours think? This is a child born out of wedlock. And hey, in the Jewish tradition, it's worse than today. Today, it doesn't seem so bad. But in those days, it was a terrible sin. You'd get stoned. When, when Mary first knew that she was pregnant and she had not consummated a marriage with Joseph, what would have been her thoughts? What would Joseph do? And so we see how dire it was. Because in verse 19, it says that Joseph was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. I wonder what it would have meant to be faithful to the law. Would it have meant to divorce her publicly, to stone her? What was it? But he, wanted, he was faithful to the law and he had to do something. At the same time, he was compassionate and he did not want to expose her. But there would have been that great dilemma. What am I to do with a pregnant girlfriend? and a baby born out of wedlock. But even as he was musing about these things, it was a really tough decision. He suddenly discovered he didn't have to worry anymore because the next moment, the angel came to tell him more bad news. Now, run away from here. So, yeah, sure, he didn't have to face his relatives anymore. He didn't have to face his neighbours, but he had to get out of the country and go to a hostile land. Things seemed to get from bad to worse. 
You have the favor of God. You have the child of God, the salvation of the nations. And then now you have to flee from a mad king who wants to kill your kid. And as they're fleeing, they hear that all the other kids have been killed and you are on the wanted list. And there they go to Egypt, a hostile place. In the memory of the Jews, Egypt stood for terrible things, for slavery, for cruelty. They had to live there as refugees. And just as they were about to be settled down, they were told by an angel, now get out of Egypt and go back to Israel. And as they were making their way to Israel, suddenly they discovered that something worse was happening. Herod's son, Achelos, was now the king and he was far more cruel than his father, Herod. And again, they, they were on the wanted list. And so they had to make a detour and move to Nazareth. Each time they thought that there could be peace, things got worse. And the truth is that when we receive the favour of God, it's not always that favourable. And yet throughout that journey, God was with Joseph and Mary. God warned them just beforehand. God led them and God protected them. It was never an easy journey. I always thought that Sometimes when we think about giving our lives to Jesus and then the next moment you wonder why a lot of bad things happen, this thing bad, that thing bad, and you wonder, is it worth it? I remember when I was in the university, I was a law student and I had this very powerful experience of God in my life. It was the Holy Spirit just filling me and every day I was so filled with joy and I was reading the Bible like for four hours. I'd wake up at three in the morning and just read, not because it was a discipline, but because it was so exciting. And I read and I read the Bible and I knew God. And I knew then that God had a plan for me. I thought then that if God had a plan for me, things would go terribly smoothly for me in the U. Instead, my studies plummeted. It wasn't because I spent too much time on the gospel. I was studying very hard, but just couldn't make it started plummeting. So in my final year, I thought, well, I'm pretty smart now. Let me convince God of this argument. And I said to God, God, look, you have really told me I'm going to serve you as a minister or missionary or whatever. So this is a good idea, right? That I glorify you. So give me a first-class honours. Let me go to a good law firm, become a famous, popular lawyer. Within 10 years, I'll leave the profession and be a missionary. Look, everyone will say, wow, this great, fantastic lawyer has now become a missionary, has given up everything. I said, God, isn't that a smart idea? I guess God scratched his head and said, this guy has lots to learn because I had a third class honours and after that I couldn't find a job. I searched, I finally did it for free, did my pupillage, not for a single cent, simply because I had to do it. I had a friend who would treat me to lunch twice a week. The other days I went without lunch. It wasn't an easy task. It wasn't an easy thing. Searched for jobs and it was tough finding a job. And I thought that, well, I got the favour of God. Yeah, I did have the favour of God. God provided for me. God gave me a friend who fed me twice a week. It was good. Along the same path, God still looked after me. But it was not an easy one. Many of you, when you feel that God has led you, God has called you, God has poured his favour upon you, may not have such an easy path. Know that God is still watching you. 
and that the favour of God may not always seem favourable. Third truth is that God, Jesus came to save his people from their sins, save us from our sins. Verse 21, Jesus should give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. We often think of a saviour as one who saves us from external forces, which was exactly how the Jews thought of Jesus. They kept thinking, well, if he is going to be our saviour, he's going to save us from the Romans, he's going to save us from our problems, he's going to save us from our poverty, he's going to do lots of great things for us. The reality is that God saw something far more important and perhaps the other way of looking to it, far more dangerous than the external threats that we face all the time. That God saw that the biggest danger was our sin. Which is why towards the end, as Jesus was in Jerusalem and he said, Woe to you! I have been like a hen trying to gather your children as chicks under my wings, but you would not have it. Because of that, there will be destruction. It was God's heart that his people be saved from their sin, that people turn away from their wickedness. But people kept saying, God, I want you to save me from my circumstances. I want you to change, save me from my bad oppressors, from different enemies, from the bad situation I'm in. And all the while, God is saying, but there's something far worse than your circumstance. It is your sin. I wonder if you have ever had this experience that I, these experiences that I've had. It started, I suppose, during my NS days. I had a terrible boss when I was in the NS. And I prayed fervently that God would remove that boss. And God in his grace removed him and gave me a boss far worse than the first. <laughs> and then I prayed, God, then send me to another unit. And God did. It was a beautiful unit by the sea, except that the officer in charge was a madman. <laughs> it got worse. But you know, things never got, seemed to get better. You go to a job and you see, well, I'm going to be a pastor. and It's a peaceful job. Well, I came to a point when I wanted to leave the ministry because church leaders couldn't stand me, and I wouldn't tell you which church that was, but it wasn't Agape. The church members couldn't stand me. They were criticizing my sermon every week. Um, I was a failure in everything, and I really detested my church leaders. And so finally, I came down and I said to God, God, time to leave, right? Be a missionary, be anything. It's time to leave the ministry. And inside me was the Holy Spirit speaking. You know, God speaks to us in different ways. To some, it's audible voice. To others, it's words. To me, it was strong convictions that I knew came from the Holy Spirit. And he said, no, you don't leave. You stay and you love your church. You love the leaders and you love the congregation. And I said, God, I'd rather die. And inside, again, there was this deep conviction. They said, but yeah, that's exactly what I want to do with you, that you die. Die to yourself, die to all that you want. And then you go back and you love your church. And I learned then that with, you know, with all these things about bad bosses, bad situations, 
And God doesn't seem to want to care. He doesn't seem to want to take you out of it. He takes you out and gives you something worse. I realized then that God wasn't too concerned about what I was going through. He was so concerned about what my life was being like. Was I learning to love? Was I learning to give in? Was I learning to deal honestly? He was concerned about what was happening inside me and in my life. God, Jesus came to save us from our sins because that's something so important to us. Whether whatever our sins are, whether it's honesty or hatred and rage or lust or whatever it is, it's the same thing. God is so concerned about transforming our lives. Fourth, and the final point, is that God will be with us always. In verse 23, it says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Just think that it was a time of, it was a bad time, time of sin, time of suffering. And then God says, but I will be with you. This is the truth that continues with us all the time. Brother Lawrence came up with this, practicing the presence of God. He was, an, he was a priest, a very lowly priest. He cleaned the floors and cleaned pots and pans. Uh, he wasn't the ones who were conducting service. He was simply a monk who, who did all the menial work. But he learned what it meant to practice the presence of God, that when he had to do difficult assignments, like when he had to go out of his monastery and do a trade and he was always afraid of getting ripped off. And he would say, God, walk with me. God, come with me. And he found that God could be, would be with him throughout the day. And that's been the experience of many who have wanted this. I once met, and I, 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 while I was serving in prison, I saw the zeal and the faith of many of the prisoners, they, they were just close to God. And I asked God, God, why can they be so close to you and all of us don't seem to feel your presence very much? And the answer came back to me once again in strong convictions, because you didn't bother to have time, because they wanted me. They took the time because you were too busy with your lives. And I realized then that God is available to us as much as we want God to be. If we don't want God around, well, we can go ahead and live our lives and we won't sense His presence. But if we long for God, if we say, God, I want you, I need you in every circumstance, we discover that God is with us always. A friend of mine living in Hong Kong had this really difficult job. She was vice president of a big firm, big company. And she desperately wanted to leave the job she couldn't afford it. She looked at the accounts and said, there's no way I can leave. She was so close to getting a new job, a good job. It looked like a wonderful firm and she applied and she was shortlisted, one of two people. And then she found she didn't get it. Really frustrated with God. But you know, as she looked back at the two years that she suffered, she found first of all that Never a day went when she did not turn to God and read the Bible and pray and ask God for sustenance. But more than that, her colleagues told her that they saw changes in her life. She had become more compassionate, 
more caring, more diligent in many ways. That though she was going through that fire, that hard time, that God was molding her. But more than that, she sensed God's presence with her at the hardest of times. Maybe you're going through tough times, maybe not, but wouldn't you want God to be present with you always? When you make your decisions, when you talk to people, isn't it important that God be there to guide you? Lest you say wrong things and start another fight, or lest you say things that affect others, or make decisions that are messy. Wouldn't you want God to be with you right there for all your circumstances? And the Bible tells us, and this gospel says that it is Emmanuel, God with us, God's commitment to us. And one more thing, it's not just when you're good, you can be a big sinner and God is still with you. Just need to want Him to be with you. God will be with you. So these are the themes, the four themes that will run throughout the Gospel of Matthew. At first, Jesus is God, fully God, fully man, and it has big implications for us. Second, that what is God's favour may not always be favourable to us, but God is watching you and blessing. Third, that Jesus came to save us from our sins more than to save us from our circumstances or from our enemies. And fourth, God is always with you. You have as much of God as you want of him. Let us pray. Father, you begin to reveal your self and your son to us. You show us, Lord, the truths about yourself. You teach us, Lord, that you, you came to teach us, to show us the way, to show us how to live. You didn't force us, but you're saying, this is the way I created you and this is the way I've wanted you to live. Father, teach us to submit to you and say, God, I see it now. I don't want to make a mess of my life. I want to live it the way you have planned for me. Help me. But God, when we think about how you suffered, how you tasted of death and suffering, humiliation, how you died for our sakes, Father, we can only say thank you. But we see also your power that you can lift us from our sinful selves. Help us then, Lord, be our saviour. Be our saviour to take us away from our sin and our sinfulness. Take us, our hearts, from hatred, anger and jealousy and violence. Teach us to love. Teach us to obey you. And so, God, we come before you in our various circumstances. We ask, Lord, be with us. Be with me, Lord Jesus. Be with me when I talk. Be with me when I think. Be with me when I make decisions. Be with me when I do things. Always be with me. Never leave me, Lord. This is our prayer to you. That, God, we may truly sense your presence with us. And know that for as much as we long for you, as for as much as we want you, there you are, availing yourself to us. 
We ask then, Lord, come and convince us of these truths from your word as we may respond to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.